Welcome to NetSmart Care Threads, a podcast where human services and post-acute leaders across the healthcare continuum come together to discuss industry trends, challenges, and opportunities. Listen as we uncover real stories about how to innovate and improve the quality of care for the communities we serve. Let's get into the show. My name is Tom Herzog, and I'm your host today. I serve as Chief Operating Officer for NetSmart, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Tim DeWeese, Director of Johnson County Mental Health. For those of you across the nation who may not know Johnson County, it is in the Kansas City metropolitan area on the Kansas side, right there on the state line with over 600,000 residents and home of the NetSmart headquarters. Tim has been with Johnson County Mental Health for the past 20 years and provides a unique perspective as a leader of an organization who joined as an entry-level clinician and has held the roles of the CSS director, clinical director, and organizational director since 2010. Tim is a graduate of Missouri Southern State University and a Bachelor of Science in Psychology and has a Master of Social Work, Public Administration, and Social Services Professions from the University of Kansas. Personally, I've had the opportunity to serve with Tim in various capacities, most recently on the Overland Park Mental Health Task Force, which we're going to talk about today. And I could not be more excited to have Tim with me as we're going to talk about topics that he and I are both passionate about. Tim, did I miss anything in that introduction? I tried not to do too much, but I wanted people to know more about you. No, I appreciate it. It was all very nice. Makes me a little bit uncomfortable. That's good. (laughs) Well, anyone who knows you, you're a very humble guy. And if I'm not going to brag about you, I know you won't do it. So (laughs) on a personal note, Tim, I just want to thank you for everything that you do for our community that uh, near and far across our country here in Overland Park and me personally. And I'll talk about some of those things today as as we uh, jump into this. Tim's been doing some amazing things to turn the tide on the collective mission of mental health and mental health awareness which I've had the privilege to see firsthand. And those are some of the topics that we're going to get into. And really, there's three topics that we're going to talk about today, three kind of core topics, but we'll go where this leads us, just like any good podcast. And uh, we're, we're going to hit on something that is specific to his organization, something that's happened in the community, specifically with students, in something that has been an initiative and probably a topic over the last 18 months as our country has wrestled with how to deal with uh, community engagement, specifically with our first responders. But Tim, if you don't mind, uh, I'll let you kind of just give a little bit of intro on yourself, and then I'm going to jump right into the co-responder program uh, right, right after that. Perfect. Again, so I don't know that I could add anything to the intro. I think that, you know, in regards to the co-responder program or even Zero Reasons Why or the work that we've done together on the mental health task force, I think the the number one thing, if, if people ask me, you know, what's the number one thing that, that you are most proud of since becoming the director of the mental health center? And honestly, I think that it that has to do with providing immediate access. And I'll talk a little bit about access to care throughout all the things that we talk about. But over the years, access to care has been something that has been very difficult. And what I mean by that is that when people have the courage to call and ask for help, historically, mental health centers or mental health providers will then schedule an intake. And that can take anywhere between uh, two or three days to a week. And the fact is, is that people 
needed help in a week, they would call in a week. So being able to provide access to care immediately, having an open access model so that people can get access to care the same day, that is probably the single most thing that I'm that I, that I'm most proud of that we've been able to accomplish at Johnson County Mental Health Center. And what you see is that then it impacts your community across the board. If you provide access to care, you do it in a quality way. It contains cost across the systems of care, not just at the mental health center, but you see um, all kinds of reduced costs. And I know that we'll talk more about that when we talk about co-responders. Yeah, and I think sometimes, Tim, that's the thing that people miss, and some of the debate is lost in the conversation that's out there, is this really is, we all want healthy, thriving communities, and there's an opportunity, and I would contend an obligation, that we all have to work together to be able to make that happen. Access to care is fundamental, that we're able to give somebody the right care at the right time and the right way can be life transforming for that person their immediate family or friends and network and the community as a whole. And unfortunately we've seen when that doesn't play out well and when we're not intentional around evolving. And, you know, I think sometimes the conversations get lost in what well, we need to totally disrupt everything we're doing. And I know you've been very mindful of, no, we need to build upon that. We need to work together as a team. One of the best things I remember you telling me, Hey Tom, we don't need more entities doing more of the same things. We need to come together and figure out how we can deliver that service and to your specific message, access in a way that is life transforming. And I think with that, Tim, I'm going to bridge that to the co-responder program. A few years ago, this probably wasn't even a word or a buzz people were talking about, but you and your organization were already going down this path. Do you mind sharing what co-responder program means to you, what the results have been, and then maybe what the next steps are as you look forward? Absolutely. So it takes a step pretty far back and, and actually moves into or starts with when I first joined Johnson County Mental Health Center. And that was to create what um, back then was called crisis case management services. Later, we changed the name and it's called mobile crisis response now. And the fact was, is that we felt like we needed to be able to respond to law enforcement and be able to provide services and support to them because they were coming in so that they had so much contact with individuals that were having mental health issues. And so we did that. And over time, what we learned was that it was really effective and, and we provided it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But one of the things that officers always said was, this is great, but what if we had your boots on the ground with us? And so that's really what birthed the whole notion of a co-responder, is that we would embed a licensed mental health professional with a police officer so that they could respond collectively in a situation and be able to assess the situation, determine the best course of action, and kind of dispose of that situation so that officers could get back to the streets. And so when I mentioned earlier access to care, co-responders bring access immediately. And so what you see is that it not only provides the right service at the right time at the right level for the individual in need, but what happens then is, like I said earlier, access to care, you do it in a quality way, it contains costs. You reduce the amount of police time with an individual, you reduce the number of bookings into your local jail, you reduce the number of 
unnecessary ER visits. So there's a whole multitude of impacts that by doing and providing access immediately to the individual, that not only are you serving that individual better and hopefully not um, maybe even traumatizing them any further, you're doing that in a way that it's not only good for the individual, but it's good for your community. Yeah, I think, you know, in, when, when you talked about even quality of life, Tim, not just for that person in need or a person in crisis, but also for those first responders. I mean, I, I remember, and you, you helped me through this, I had gotten pulled in to help with, uh, with a need in our community uh, on an event. And I remember talking with the first responders who were out there. I happened to ask them about the, about the co-responder program. And these were police officers, and they couldn't say enough good things about it. They're like, this is game changing for how we connect and are able to do the things. And, and I think sometimes we get lost that, this needs to be less about a debate of who isn't or who needs to be doing something and more about how we can do exactly what you just said, provide that optimal outcome for that person in need, which also impacts our first responders as well. What are some of the positives you've seen? You guys have been doing this for a while now. Uh, it's starting to take off nationally. Everyone's having this conversation. What are some of the positives? Well, I think the, the positives have been primarily that we've developed a really good working relationship with our law enforcement partners. It also has created an avenue for, for cities, municipalities to actually see the benefit of having mental health workers along their first responders. And I think that's the next step. And maybe I'll talk about that here in a minute. The other positive is, is that it actually gets people the care they need immediately. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is, I, I think that's the, the number one thing. So we can um, look at this. And, and I think that the next step for us is since we have been doing this for, for a while is begin to look from more of a kind of a research perspective of what kinds of things are we seeing? Are we seeing a decrease in maybe deaths by suicide? Are we seeing an increase or a decrease in the number of bull, uh, jail bookings? Are we seeing a decrease in the number of ER runs? Those kinds of things. And so I think that, uh, again, it's probably a, something that we need to do and, and, and take a little bit further look at in regards to the data, the outcomes that we've been able to produce. So, Tim, if there's a community out there that wants to do this, they're like, we don't have this in our community and we need to make this happen. What guidance or suggestions would you give them to go begin that journey to have co-responders be a part of their community engagement or as part of the team of first responders? I think the first step is, is to have the conversation with uh, law enforcement officers, the officers on the street, their sergeants, and work the way, work your way up the ladder or the, the hierarchy till you get to the chief and then have that conversation. The bottom line is, is if you demonstrate that you're providing a service that provides them something of value, if you're able to do that, then they're going to find a way to engage you and support you in that endeavor. And so it's really about developing that relationship from the bottom up from my perspective, and then being able to show the value that you that you provide. And then not only do you get the chief to support that, then you, you get the municipalities themselves to support it. And I think that's where we've been able to, to see the benefit. I think the next step is for us to continue to look at how we can do that and even meet, maybe move further upstream right. so that maybe we're uh, 
you know, maybe we are em employing or embedding uh, social workers or licensed mental health professionals professionals at the 911 call center so that right. now we even are able to help the call center determine who is the best first responder to send right. out. Because in a lot of communities, including ours, when a call comes in, typically everything gets dispatched. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's pretty costly to a community. Um, yeah. And it's pretty costly to the individual when they have a uh, fire police and uh, an ambulance show up to their home. And if we're able to figure out what is the best service to provide, what is the right response and right. be able to provide that right response, I think we even move further upstream to helping people access the care they need. Well, well said. I, I mean, I think um, there's many threads in our community that we can do to make a difference. One of the things that I learned from you from afar is it's not just one thing that's going to invoke change or evolution. It's going to be a multi-thread approach or multi-work streams, if you will. And I think with that, I want to use this to segue to our next topic around zero reasons. And this has been an amazing success in my mind and our community specifically targeted at our youth and really youth led. And I know you're going to point that out, but they were the ones who said, Hey, we think there's a better way. And we want to find that way. Do you mind sharing your perspective? I know you play a key role. You and your team play a big role in this and educating our audience today. What is zero reasons and why is it different? So zero reasons why is a youth led campaign to disrupt youth suicides. And it started because of the foresight of six superintendents. The six districts, the public school districts within our community realized that there was an issue at hand, that too many young people were dying um, as a result of suicide, and they wanted to do something about it. And so they convened a group of, of folks that were made up of community members, the school, school staff themselves, they invited the mental health center and other mental health providers, and we came up with a plan. And one of the things that we, that we wanted to make sure of is that we weren't just doing a one and done kind of thing, is that we wanted to develop a campaign that could sustain itself. And so we're basically in, in year five of this campaign. And it really starts with the students, the young people themselves. We get volunteers from all the school districts. And right now we have volunteers, uh, student volunteers from all six public school districts, but also from some of the private schools uh, within yeah. our community and even some homeschool folks that have joined. Uh, and that they create the teen council and this teen council really moves the issue forward. And, and, and I think one of the things that really resonated with me early on is, is that as I was speaking with students, you know, one of the students shared with me and said, you know, we appreciate everything that you do, Tim, in, the, in our community, but you're old and I don't have time to have one of my other friends die by suicide. And, you know, she was right. I think the smartest thing that we did was simply listen to what they wanted to do, listen to what they wanted to say and then help them make it happen. And because of that, we've seen a reduction in youth suicide over the last four years, even during the pandemic of youth suicide. Now, 
suicide in general within our community, that's something that we need to continue to work towards because uh, I think the pandemic's been rough on everyone. But in particular, with uh, young people, they have done an amazing job to destigmatize mental health conditions and make it okay for people to talk about and ask for help. And honestly, that's what gives me hope about all of this is that you see these young people in action. And some of the the young people that have gone on to college, they, you know, we have, now we have zero reasons why at Butler, zero reasons why at Creighton, because young people have taken what they started at their high schools here in Johnson County and have taken it to their colleges, their local colleges. And so we see it continuing, not only across the state of Kansas, but within universities and colleges across the United States. Well, I think, you know, Tim, so much information that I'm trying, I want to repack this or recap it in a good way. And because I think in there is the answers for that, that people are looking for. Again, this is another one. How do I go start this in my community? And I think the very first thing you said, it was done in collaboration. Maybe one of the hardest things to do these days, but the school district contingents were involved. Students were involved. And I like how you said it. Us adults had to listen that we weren't necessarily there to say this, how it had to be done. We took a collaborative role in working with them and then very intentional. I've, I've had the opportunity to be part of the walks that the group has done. The times that when they bring people together to be able to speak in here, and I know you've spoken at those things, and I just sit there and I'm a student at that point because I'm listening to these, these youth teach us things that we didn't necessarily learn growing up well. I know I didn't. And um, how to unpack things, how to take those emotions and figure out how to manage them well. And then I think most of all is just, as you said, continue to press in. And I love the fact that I don't know if everyone in the audience picked up on that. We have seen results from it. We've seen um, our youth, we've seen more youth feel more comfortable and asking for help and also around the reductions of some of the impacts that can be caused by a student that finds himself in crisis during really challenging times. And is it all the way there yet? No, I, this is going to be something we're going to have to iterate through on and get better. So I guess, Tim, same thing I'm going to ask you uh, in regards to the code responder program. Someone sitting out there and saying, I like this idea. What would be the first thing for them to begin starting their own zero reasons why in their community? How might they do that? So get asked that question a lot. And so because of that, we developed a zero reasons why playbook. And that playbook is downloadable at the zero reasons why website. So if you go to zero reasons why dot, I believe it's dot com, then you can um, download that playbook and it walks you step by step through how you can do that. It gives you um, all of the, the, the things that you need to kind of move that forward. None of it is trademarked. We didn't want to do that. We wanted to make sure that that it was be able to be used anywhere. And so that's the way to do it. I think the the other thing is that, again, it's not a one and done thing. It's about building a culture. It's about building a culture that supports one another, that promotes or destigmatizes mental health, promotes mental wellness, and makes it okay for young people to talk about what they're experiencing. And, and, And so I think all of the kind of formal things we did are really exciting, the walks and things like that. 
what I've been mo more impressed about is that it's developed that culture. And so then you see things just naturally happen, like at a, a basketball game, everybody meeting at the, the center court before the game and giving one another, you know, zero reasons why, trading zero reasons why bracelets or whatever it might be, or having a whiteout at one of the games where they all wear zero reasons why, both sides wear oh, zero yeah. reasons why shirts. Those things are not things that any of us did or even talked about. They were just things that the kids made happen on their own. And so when you're able to build that culture, when you're able to set that up so that kids can just make things happen for themselves, it's pretty amazing. Well, I, I contend I'm as excited as I've ever been about this generation coming up. They've been challenged with a lot, especially over this last year. And I've seen them press in and, and find a way and teach us how we can go collaborate, connect, and communicate in healthy ways. And I can't think of a time more in my life, Tim, that we need that. We, we need this kind of inspiration. And I think that's, that's exactly the point that I like to make all the time, Tom, is that they have experienced adversity. And the fact is, is that adversity and overcoming those situations or those barriers make us more resilient. So I would argue that this generation coming out of this pandemic is the most resilient generation that we've had because they have experienced a whole lot, not just a pandemic, but the hate that, that permeates our, our communities these days, the divisiveness, the political and, and, and community strife that goes on. They have been experiencing all of this and despite that, have found ways to be productive and to move things forward. And that builds character and it builds resilience. And, and quite frankly, that's what provides me hope. That's what motivates me to continue to do what I do. And I know things are going to be better. Yeah. You're getting me excited, man. I couldn't agree with you more. And we need that kind of optimism in our community right now. We need more pointing towards what we can do versus not. So I'm going to replay that segment a few times. That may be my new Sunday night uh, <laughs> beginning of the work week message, Tim. Love it. So on that same same thread, you know, this is our last of three topics around community engagement. And this is something you and I had the opportunity to do together. And it was the Overland Park Mental Health Task Force that was really initiated out of a community looking within and out of tragedy, out of some tragic things saying we got to do a better way. And that tragedy was really arriving at a, at a place to provide help to a youth in need and not, not ending in a great outcome and saying, we, what can we do better? We must do better. Tim, I'll be candid. When we brought this Overland Park Mental Health Task Force and I had the opportunity to be a part of it and full transparency was asked to be the vice chair of it. I was Larry. These are hard things to do. And we brought a lot of diverse opinions together and we're hitting on subjects. This is pre-pandemic that weren't necessary as emotion as they became during the pandemic. And I think even during the time we could have said, we're going to pause and not do this right now. We'll come back. And I love it. The group said, no, we're going to, if we ever need to do something, it's now more than ever. And we had elected officials a part of this. We had city officials a part of this. We had community leaders a part of this. We had community members a part of this. I'd love to hear, Tim, what you thought about the Mental Health Task Force, your experience from it, and just share your thoughts. And we'll give and take just a little bit on this one as well. 
Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, I think everything that we've talked about up to this point has really led to this whole notion that that mental health and mental wellness, it's not an individual issue. It's not a a mental health center issue. It's not a faith-based organization issue. It is a community issue that needs a community response. And unfortunately, there have been a lot of things what I would call the underbelly of our community in regards to mental health and how, you know, things have not, whether it be underage drinking or increased drug use or bullying or all of those things existed before the pandemic. And the pandemic itself, I think, drawn light to mental health and everything that was maybe not causing it, but that had a impact on it. And, you know, I I can remember right before the pandemic actually coming to NetSmart and sharing with your staff uh, there, the 10 things that worried me most. And those 10 things didn't change because the pandemic, they actually probably got a little bit worse, but the ability to talk about them got better. And people were more open about doing that. And I think that's what intrigued me about the mental health task force was that here is a community that's willing to say, we have issues. Yeah, we have issues, but we're going to do something about it. Right. And so if community is going to step up and when I say community, I mean, community members that have differing opinions, you have elected officials, you have policymakers participating and, and, and they say, we want to do something about this, then I have to be involved in that. Because that is what I've been saying all along. A community response is what it's going to take to address this community issue. So, Tim, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, I learned a lot through it. As I shared transparently, I went in with some hesitation because that kind of engagement is not easy. And then you throw everything else that was going on in the world uh, during that time. And we just recently landed it. It's going to take its next phase. And we made recommendations to the community. And now those are being brought forth in the community. And we're in election cycle. Those are brought. It's amazing that work that we if everyone wonders is it going to matter? Is that kind of volunteering? And this was all volunteer going to make a difference. It is the theme of every conversation right now. I mean, it's, and it's sobering because you don't, you don't, you're like, I didn't know that that was going to happen, but it's also encouraging because I, you encapsulated so well, we pressed into that conversation as a community in a way that reached new levels that I didn't think we were going to go do. I thought, yeah, we'll do this. We'll, we'll, you know, hit the stigma piece. And instead we made recommendations. We, we had organizations from across the community, crisis center, our schools, our police, our first responders come and share. This is what we're doing. And Every one of those conversations Tim ended with, hey, thank you guys. This means a lot that you're doing it. That alone, we didn't go into it with that intent, but I think the opportunity to hear stories, there is so much happening in community that people often don't understand. I didn't. And when you're exposed to that, it's encouraging. 
and it's motivating to go take it to the next level. So those recommendations have been put forth. They were voted on by the city council, and now they're in that dreaded funded word. How do you go fund those? Which those of us who serve our cause and community, we know that that's always a challenge, but I see it moving forward, and it's happening faster than I thought it would. So Tim, as you look forward, and you and people out there thinking task force, I wonder if we should be doing a task force. What would you say people, why they should do it? And what do you hope for our own task force as it goes forward? Well, I, I think that, again, it gets back to actually making a difference and coming together. And again, not everybody's going to, to agree 100%, but there's going to be more that brings us together than pushes us apart. And what we need to focus and again, I think this is where some of the, the work that I recently done with young people has just reinforced this for me, is that we shouldn't focus on what pushes apart, but what brings us together. And if we focus on what brings us together, then we're able to accomplish those kinds of things. I'm in agreement. I think this moved much faster than, than I expected. And you're right. I think that, that it was a, a good combination of people that, that allowed us to be able to, to share and it kind of gets back to what you had mentioned earlier that I've shared with you before. Sometimes it's not about reinventing the wheel. It's yeah, about yeah. understanding everything that exists in your community and how to bring it all together. Again, we're much more powerful together than we are apart and as individual entities. So for me, what the, the group did was really begin to find out that they, they first sought to understand you know, and I think that's an under, uh, underestimated or underappreciated thing within our culture today, and that's listening. And so the group listened. They sought to understand what was happening in their community, and then they based a group of recommendations off of what they heard about. And to me, that's the way it should go, and I would encourage any other community that, that wants to make a difference to first seek to understand what's happening and what's uh, what's going on in their communities. Well, Tim, I think yeah, those three topics, you just gave a great kind of encouragement, challenge, challenge or charge to us, which is how we go get involved in our community. And, you know, we looked at co-responders. We looked at zero reasons why. We looked at the Overland Park Mental Health Task Force. And our community only works when we engage, but we engage in healthy ways. So I want to move to one last topic, Tim. So we covered the community engagement piece, and this is a little bit on a personal note, and I, and I shared that with you as well. I don't know if you do this intentionally or not, but every now and then I see your fishing pictures. I see you out there hiking. I see you out there in, uh, in nature do, doing your thing. And I said, you know what? Why am I not doing that? Why don't I go do that? And in a weird way, you're, you're mentoring me. You're, you're, it's that e-mentor piece of, I'm not doing it because I don't find the time to go do that. And we talk about self-care. We talk about finding that balance and peace like that. And so you actually got me to start fishing again. It was kind of fun going out there. We got great bike paths, going on the bike path and those, those types of things. And I would just ask you for some insights and leadership there for all of us on a personal note. We've all been walking and dealing with a lot and we still are. It's not gone away and I, it's not going to go anyway time soon. I don't think it's a new normal. I think we'll get to a new normal, but this challenge and friction that we see out there is important. But I know this, if we don't take care of ourselves, 
we're going to have a hard time in managing that forward. Do you mind sharing some thoughts, tools, resources, even kind of your own practices that we could all benefit from? So from a standpoint of, of just tools, and I always like to offer tools up, you can go to our Johnson County Mental Health Center website, and there is a um, JCMHC tool, community toolbox link. And in that link is linked to a ton of self-care tools and ideas, both for individuals and families. And so that's the, that's the one thing. I think the second thing is, is that you got to make time. You got to make sure that you do it. And, and I think that also as leaders, we have to demonstrate and we have to model that. So it's easy for us to talk about it, but we have to take care of ourselves. And I learned early on in the world of social work that if you're not taking care of yourself, then you can't take care of anyone else. And so if, if you are wanting to help others from a, an altruistic motivation, and I think that's a whole other topic of making sure that, that you're trying to help others out of wanting to help them, not to gain or to help um, advance your interests, but to advance others' interests, then I think that's the place to start. And you have to take care of yourself first. So no, I didn't originally set out to kind of just do that. But the more feedback that I got from people, the more I realized that I was actually modeling good behavior. And frankly, I think that we can learn from kids and we can learn from one another. And there probably is a lot more modeling than we that each of us can do for one another. Because right now, I unfortunately think a, a lot of ba- bad behaviors or negative behaviors necessarily get modeled. So let's focus on modeling some positive behaviors uh, right. and, 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 and be thoughtful and intentional about how we approach things. Well, I couldn't agree more. And just so you know, I've not posted any pictures because they can't compete with what you catch. So <laughs> uh, I got work to do or you need to give me some lessons. But nonetheless, I enjoy the time and you almost forget you forget till you get there and you say, why don't I do this more often? And uh, we got to go be intentional. Well, Tim, to, cl- to close us out, before I say a couple of thoughts, one last word or thought that you would share with our audience. I kind of got into that just a little bit. I-, I think that we all can make a difference and we all have to be intentional and thoughtful about why we want to make a difference. What is the reasons that we are wanting to help? And I think if we think about that and we commit to that, then we can help our communities be a, a healthier place in general, not just mentally, mental healthy, but physically healthy. On that note, I'll also say I have seen some of your social media posts, <laughs> of, you know, your, your car karaoke and um, <laughs> with, with your family. Uh, and those are, those are good modeling. Those are, that's good modeling behavior as well. So I think, again, you may be learning a few things from me, but I'm learning stuff from you. And that's, the beauty of, of all of this is that we can come together as a community, despite probably having differences. And I say probably because we don't actually talk about our differences a whole lot. We've always focused on, yeah. on what we have in common. But the fact is, is that if you come together and you focus on, on what you have, what your strengths are, what your commonalities are, there's not a whole lot that you can't accomplish. And, and so I think that's what I would encourage people to do. I think we can also learn a lot from this this younger generation that's showing us how to manage and overcome a global pandemic. 
Well, Tim, I couldn't agree more, and you said it well, so I'm not even going to recap that piece of it because I think that's the charging challenge to us all. And if I were to put it in a hashtag, it would be better together and that we're all more alike than not in the pursuits that find us, wanting to be our best selves, to make a difference, to know that we can contribute and positively impact our homes and the communities and this world that we live in. And today we heard some great things from Tim, things that he's doing in his various personas. As you're talking, as we talked about the co-responder program, as we talked about the zero reasons why and the Overland Park Mental Health Task Force and kind of these multiple threats to be able to go out there and make a difference. But then most importantly, around what we need to be doing to, in order for us to give, we got to believe that for ourselves as well and to be intentional around the around those pieces. So I walk away from this podcast encouraged, motivated, excited. Tim, I'm grateful for your work, local, near and far. Grateful for how you constantly are willing to have conversations and collaborate and show us the good ways forward. Thank you for taking the time with us today and to our audience. Provide feedback, you know, give reviews. Uh, we're trying to disrupt the narrative in a positive way. We're trying to say, hey, let's have this conversation and really encourage and challenge us all on how we can go make that happen. So we look forward to hearing from you. Look forward to you participating. Tim, thank you. Oh, I didn't get to say this. Thank you. I've always, I always want to say this. Tim, you gave many notes and links and all that stuff. We'll include that in the show notes. I've always wanted right. to be what. <laughs> awesome. So we'll, all the things that you just said, we'll put into the show notes today and we'll look forward to connecting with you again. And until next time, let's all remember, remind ourselves, we're always better together. At NetSmart, we understand the challenges facing provider organizations. Our team will help you navigate changing value-based care models with solutions and services that make person-centered care a reality. We'll equip you with technology and services that provide holistic, real-time views of care histories that inform better decision-making and better outcomes. Visit us today at ntst.com. NetSmart, serving you so you can serve others. Thanks for listening to the NetSmart Care Threads podcast. Through collaboration and conversation, we can work together to make healthcare more connected than ever before and better support the communities we serve. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.